We have been in a, uh, a series for uh, since the first of the year in, out of the book of Acts in, in chapter 2, and we, we've called this series Explosion and, uh, because that's what literally took place in that upper room. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit came and there was an explosion. And things were never the same. They were never meant to be the same. And guess what? The power of that explosion still carries today. It has not lost any momentum. It has not lost any power. We've just ignored it. That would be a good place for amen, but y'all missed it, so moving on. Okay? <laughs> we, we, just, we, we, we just, okay, the Holy Spirit. Guys, y- y'all don't seem to understand what took place there. I mean, literally, it has changed the world. We can sing about the love of God today because of what took place in that upper room. Jesus died on that cross. God so loved the world that He gave, that He gave, that He gave. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, He gave again. And when He gave, He gave us the Spirit of the living God to live, not not to come on us, but to live in us. That means that He moves these arms. He's supposed to move this mouth, these legs, everything. He's in control. And, and, and we, we don't have to wait to go to Jesus. Jesus came to us in His Spirit, and He lives in us. And we have the power, folks, to change this world. Listen to me. I, 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 I don't disrespect uh, folks that, that hold signs up. I, that's not the way Jesus did it, all right? Jesus didn't condemn. Jesus went to those that were in the pit and gave them a means to get out. He reached down. And he, he didn't just reach. He walked down in. And so if we, don't, if we don't reach out, if we don't go after our community, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today is, is community. You know what? We're going to get to heaven and God's going to go, what did you do? What were you thinking? Why do you think I left you there? Listen, I'm going to read Acts. Uh, the, uh, my team in the media doesn't, don't have this, but I'm going to read the, the whole passage because sometimes I think we, we forget about what went before and what comes after. But I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And I want you just to listen. This is, this is after the Spirit of God has descended, the, the Holy Spirit has rested on them and in them, and those 120 pour out into the streets, and they're praising God, and, and people from all over the world are just, they're just flabbergasted. They're dumbstruck. They don't know what to do. They can't explain what's going on. And Peter stands up, and he begins to preach, and, and this is what takes place after that. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity, praising God. That's what we talked about last week, praising God. And today we're going to talk about this next passage. And having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We've been looking at, at 12 different principles that we find in this passage of what, ta- what should take place in a radical church. We, we live in a hostile culture which is not unlike what the early church lived in. Okay, It hasn't got be- gotten better. I want you all to understand that. It has gotten worse. Amen? As far as I know, they weren't blowing schools up in Jerusalem. Students weren't killing each other. Uh, Listen, there was all kind of perversion, sure. But there's just all kinds of things that are taking place in our day that that was just as bad as what they were a part of. And yet God pours out His Spirit and this, this church becomes it becomes a church and it was very radical. And, we, and when we use the word radical in this series, I've told you I don't mean weird or strange. I mean back to the basics. Okay, that's what literally the word radical means. It go, means to go back to the roots. And we've been going back to the roots to see what they did because God gave them a a plan. He gave them a, a, a blueprint that if they would just do the things that he was leading them to do, they couldn't beat people back. I mean, literally, Peter preaches this sermon, 3,000 people get saved. Man, I would be excited if 10 people got saved. I'd be excited if one person got saved, okay? I mean, you ought to hear me, but they, they were overwhelmed in a matter of days with new converts, Why? Because they were doing what God had told them to do the way God told them to do it. And so we've looked at how they devoted themselves to the the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread and to prayer and the the fear of God that was there, the signs and wonders that were taking place, uh, uh, how they they met the needs of anyone who had a need. They, they, they took care of them. They loved them. They, were, they had one mind, and they were, they were taking communion. They were, they, were, uh, they were eating their meals together. They were meeting in small groups and in corporately as a body. They, were, they, they met with gladness and sincerity. What you saw was who they were. They, they weren't putting on a show. And they, they were praising God. They, they, the church was, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was no, known because of its praise. And then it says this in the end of verse 47, and having favor with all the people. It's interesting, when, when God created human beings, He designed every one of us to be a part of community. Now we hear that word a lot. Uh, if, if you... I doubt many of you read much church material, but if you read church material and, and kind of peruse the books and stuff like that, community, community, community. But it's, it's a big deal. There's something in our DNA that longs for another person, for others like us. In fact, uh, that's what God says in Genesis chapter 2.18. He says, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for human beings to be alone. So what did God do? He created the woman who was to be a who was to be the man's helpmate, who was to be his partner, who was to be the one who completed him. Each one of them possessed what the other did not. And and his first mandate was to them was to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. In other words, build this community. That that was the point. 
It was just not to, to have children for, for whatever reason. It was to build communities and throughout history. Solitary confinement is one of the worst punishments there is. The only one that's worse is execution. I mean, I have read numerous stories of, of prisoners that were during war and, and even in our prison, prison systems that were, uh, that were uh, sentenced to solitary confinement and ultimately they went nuts. Why? Because they were by themselves. There was no community for them to be a part of. There was no partners for them uh, to, 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 to exist with. And we weren't created to be alone. And so community is a big deal for God. He formed us for community. Every family is a miniature community. I don't know if you knew that or not. We're, it's a miniature community. Your neighborhood, your cul-de-sac you live on, the street you live on is a, is a, is a community on a smaller version. Community, that community idea grows as, as, we, as we talk about towns and as we talk about cities and nations and, and states and the world. This idea of community is, is not something that, that started with us. It began with God. It's eternal. You say, well, how can it be eternal? Because God has always existed in community. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Perfect relationship, community. And God created humanity, male and female, and invited them into his community. He didn't invite the elephants. He didn't invite the rhinos. He didn't invite the dogs, as nice as they are, sweet as they are. He didn't invite them. He invited us to be a part of his community. And so this idea of community is really a big deal. And when God decided to form a body who would become the bride for His Son Jesus, and by the way, He did that before He ever created anything. He decided to do that. He formed the church, which is a local community of born-again believers. That's what we are. We're a community. We're, a commu we're communities within a community, within a community, within a community. You see, we're, we're intricate. We're intricate in the world that we live in. Yet sometimes we forget how important this idea of community is to us as individuals in church. Now, I'm not going to ask this question, but I'll guarantee there's some people in this room that if I asked them if they would rather be alone by themselves or in a group of people, I would get, I'd rather be by myself. All right, if you'd rather be alone by yourself with little or no social interaction, you want to be away from people, the issue is not how God made you, okay? But rather the unhealed wounds your soul has suffered at the hands of others. Because we weren't created to be by ourselves. We weren't. God didn't make you that way. He didn't make me that way. Bad experiences did. So we have to learn to interact with each other to become healthy in our ability to handle relationship. Why did God create us? What for? Relationship. Relationship. He wanted relationship with us. We learn to have relationship with Him, guess what? By having relationship with each other. 
That's why most of us don't have much of a relationship with Him because we don't have much of a relationship with each other. It's, it's surface. We smile. Hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, sister, how you doing? Really, I'm not doing well. I've got the crud and uh, I'm worn out. And You know what? I, I didn't get much sleep. And, but you don't want to know all that. See, we, 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 we interact with each other on a surface level. We have to learn, learn to interact with each other in real relationships so that we can be healthy. And so today, my goal is to show you how important our relationship is with the community beyond these walls. Okay? It's not enough to put a sign on a, on a whatever that is out there. Okay? Post. Barkey, there you go. Thank you. I can use some help this morning, all right? I'm serious. If I freeze on a word, y'all just insert it and we'll move right on, okay? If we have little or no relationship with the outside world, how are we going to fulfill the mandate that Jesus gave us, that he gave every believer? I, this is, you guys are so familiar with this passage in Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go, therefore. Literally, the text says, as you are going, day by day, as you're going to work, as you're going to the store, as you're going to the market, as you're going to the lake, as you're going to the concerts, as you're going here, as you're going there, just make disciples. He doesn't say in this verse, although there's nothing wrong with it, that on Tuesday night we're going <laughs> to knock on doors. That, that's not how he reached the world. Okay? There's nothing wrong with it. All right? Except you can't get but a handful of people to do it. What he meant for us to do is in our normal lifestyles, relationally, to interact with men and women and boys and girls that we come in contact with and share what Jesus is doing in our lives. That's how this little group of people turned the Roman world up in less than 300 years. It was through relationship in their community. When they went to wash clothes, hey, let me tell you what Jesus was doing. Let me tell you what happened at our service last, last week. Let me tell you what I saw God do. Just told the story. Didn't have 12 verses. They had to get in, in right in, you know, just like this. Didn't have a, a rote, memorized way of, of sharing the gospel. They just shared the testimony of what Jesus had done. Remember a few weeks ago on Easter, the, the, the spirit of, let's see, let me get it right. Somebody may have to help me here. I'll just read it. How about that? Always works better. Especially when your head's foggy. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. They just testified about Jesus. They prophesied. They preached the gospel. This is what Jesus did in my life. This is what Jesus did, and it changed me. They just did that day after day, systematically. They didn't have to work up courage to walk across the street to their neighbor's house and, and go, hey, brother, I brought you a, a pie. Just want you to know what Jesus is doing in my life. They didn't, have to, they didn't have to work up courage to the guy they've been working with for 25 years. His, his health is declining. They didn't have to work up courage to share what Jesus was doing in their life. 
They just did it. Because they understood how important community was. And so they, they, they didn't do community, they were community. And so our relationship and our communities either provides or an opportunity for us to draw people to Christ or it shoves people away from Christ. Okay? I don't know if y'all know this, but people that are unsaved, they hate religion. Unsaved people and children hate religion. All right. Now we like it, right? I mean, it's we can. And by the way, when I talk about religion, y'all know I'm not talking about walking with Jesus. All right. We like the rules and the regulations because if we got the rules and the regulations, we can punch the box and fill in the blanks, and everything's good at the end of the day. The only problem is there won't be a line for religion that goes into heaven. All right. That's where you have to go and you have to drop stuff. You ever, how many of you have ever been to the airport and have to leave something in a bucket? <laughs> been to a concert, have to leave something in the bucket. Okay, they're probably going to be buckets like that. When you cross the border back into the United States, they have this big sign. And it says no fruit, no plants, no animals, and one other thing I can't remember. And let me just tell you this. They're serious about that. You say, well, how do you know? Because we went one time and the van, the, the, the truck I wasn't in had an apple on the dash. And guess what? They forgot about it. They paid the price. It took a long time for them to get loose. And they could have been fined thousands and thousands of dollars. My point is, is we're going to get to heaven and God's going to have to dust a bunch of us off because we've got ticks and fleas of religion all over us. We're covered in it. The world hates it. And the reason it hates it is because it's not real. And they are looking for something that's real. They're looking for something that will give them hope. Religion gives no hope. It just presses you down into a pit. And the more you do, the deeper you get. Until you throw your hands up and you give up. Jesus died to give us relationship. That's freedom. That's real freedom. And we have that if we would just walk in it. But the world that we are, we are ministering to, they're not looking for religion, which for some reason we've taken hold of like a baby with a pacifier. They're looking for the real deal. They're looking for something that has happened. I mean, I, there, there, there's been just a few times in my life, I can remember a job I was on years ago when I was in the plumbing business. And uh, I probably have said this before, but in construction, there are a group of people you don't ever mess with, okay? You don't mess with roofers, you don't mess with block masons, and you don't mess with sheetrock hangers, because they're crazy, Okay? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean that in an ugly way, but they're, most of them are wiry little guys. And I'm going to tell you what, you work with a block mason all day or a, or a sheetrock hanger or a roofer, and you do some heavy-duty work. And so, you know, you just don't mess with them. And this, this, this sheetrock guy came out one day, and he said, there's something wrong with you. Well, I thought something wrong with him. I thought he was a little bit, I thought he'd been, you know, smoking something besides a cigarette. I said, what are you talking about? There's something strange about you. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you don't curse your men. I said, well, it doesn't, get any, it, doesn't, it doesn't do any good, does it? He goes, 
Well, I guess it doesn't. Mine hadn't changed a bit. I cuss them every day. I said, no, I, I don't. He said, I know there's something strange about you. I said, no, I, really there's not. He said, I've been watching you. I said, you have? He, that really made me nervous right there, okay? He, I said, he said, what is it? I said, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I, I, I follow Christ. He said, I knew there was something, and he walked on. He just went back to his business. I realized that day that, you know what? There are people watching us. And our lives are declaring a testimony for good or for evil, one way or the other. Now listen, when he walked away, I said, oh God, oh God, oh God, I'm so sorry if, I, if I've done things that I should. I realized, you know what? I got a, there's people watching me. Our children watch us. The people we work with watch us. And so we have to, we have to give forth that which is really Jesus, not religion. That's what our communities want. Our relationship with our communities is important. It's not what we think, folks. It's what our community sees in us and what they think about us that attracts them to us or repels them away. And listen, if we repel them away, guess who we repel them away from? Jesus. Jesus, because we represent Jesus. For the last several weeks, we've been looking at the principles, the blueprints of being a, literally a spirit-filled church, a spirit-empowered church that, that we find here in Acts chapter 2. Luke tells us that in, in Acts 2.47 here, he says, he says that this first church was having favor with all the people. Don't miss that. They were having favor with all the people. That, that favor was on, ongoing, meaning it was continual. Now, I've grown up in church. I don't ever remember not coming to church except for a period of time when, when I was grown that I just decided I wasn't going anymore. But that's a pretty audacious statement to me. Okay? But the Holy Spirit's the one that makes it. So it has to be true. The reason it sounds so audacious is our own experience and the culture that we live in, we don't see that as true. Right? They're not beating our doors down to get in here. We've got a few seats left. We've got a few more over yonder left. The reason is, you know, most communities endure the existence of the church rather than embrace it. Churches used to be the centerpiece. And by churches, I don't mean the building, okay? I mean the people, the people. Churches used to be the centerpiece of the community. They, they were partners within the community. They were drawing cards for the community. I mean, as a church was growing, I mean, as a, as a community began to grow, a part of their advertisements as they, as they uh, you know, advertised to, to new people that, that wanted to relocate in their towns, in their cities, was we have this church and this church and this church. They were drawing cards. But today, you know what? The church is just often tolerated. It's not really well liked. It's not really well received. And the reason is because the community often sees the church as a liability rather than a resource. They see it as a combative opponent rather than a partner. See, we're supposed to be partners in our community. 
We are supposed to make the community better so that the, the, uh, the, the life in the community gets better. And guess what happens? As the water level rises, everybody floats higher in their boats. We're not supposed to be the sucking hole of don't do this and don't do that. Okay? Now, I believe we stand up for what Jesus said. Okay? But most churches are known more for what they are against than what they are for. That is not Jesus. I don't find anybody saying, well, you know what, Jesus didn't like this, and Jesus didn't like that. And Jesus, I find Jesus eating with the worst of the worst. I mean, he was, he was working the dark spots in Bill Street. He, he, was, he was down in New Orleans navigating his way through the very darkest places on, on south side of Birmingham and west end and north side of Birmingham and uh, all those places out in the, in the boondocks where this goes on that nobody talks about. That's where he would have been. He didn't spend it on the steps of first whatever church every Sunday smiling and look good. No, he was there in the community. He was working and, and going to those people that needed Jesus. This first church was different than many churches are today. And so we have to understand and embrace and then extend their difference if we want to make a difference. One of the things we have to learn is first we have to learn what the meaning of favor is in this text. This text tells us that they were enjoying favor with all the people. That, that word that's used for favor here is charis. And, and charis also can mean grace. Grace. In the secular language of the day, it carried the idea of, of that which delights. It, it, it can also mean uh, kindness or sweetness or, or loving, loveliness. It was is beautiful or, or joy. Favor exemplified a gracious or a pleasurable disposition towards someone or something. Today in our culture, uh, this favor would carry the idea of great respect and greatly admired. The people of that, that first century greatly respected this, this church, and they greatly admired what was going on in it. People outside looking in at what was taking place didn't feel threatened or condemned. There, there was nobody holding a sign, turn or burn. There was nobody holding the sign, you're, you're all sinners and you're going to hell if you don't come to Jesus. Let me just tell you, okay, I grew up in church, that has never been appealing. All right, now I, there's a place to preach hell, all right, there is a place, but it's not every sermon. If I, you know, my, my job is to let them know first that God loves them. Now, hell is a real place. And, and there are going to be people in that real place, and there's a place for it. But it, it shouldn't be, you know, if I turn that movie on, and that's the first thing I see, you know what happens? I go to another channel. Guess what? That's what happens. And so I'm not saying you don't share it. There's a place for it. But that shouldn't be your invitation to come on in and join us. See, those people that pass around that look at that and they make a judgment. If that's Jesus, that's not who I want. If this is what Jesus does to you, 
Now I like what I'm doing better. And so, <coughs> threatening and condemning never works. And it's important that we understand, not just understand the grace, but we need to understand this, this word people here. It says that, uh, that the people were holding them in great favor. Who are these people? Listen, these were the common people. These were the regular folks. Uh, Hebrew, it's, it's the Am HaRazet, the, the, the people of the earth, the people of the land. These are, these are the people just like us who, who, who went about their business every day. They were trying to make a living. They were raising their kids. They were trying to keep food on the table, a roof over their, fa- their, their families. They were the people of the land. The people of the land had great respect this group of Christians. They, they, they honored them. They were in awe of them. Now the culturally and religious elite of Judaism, the, the Sadducees, which were the, the ruling priests, and the Pharisees, which were the, the, the conservative uh, right-wing guys as far over at the right as you can get, and most of the Sanhedrin, which were local rulers, they looked at people of the land, the Amorites, they looked at them as uneducated and ignorant. And thus, because they were ignorant and uneducated, they certainly neglected keeping God's commandments. In other words, they couldn't keep God's commandments, so why do we need them? Well, they're the ones that furnish the, 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 the uh, system whereby they can eat. And they get their money, and they can live in the big fine houses, okay? They, they, they pay their taxes. They, they raise the sheep. But you know what? The religious folks didn't want anything to do with them. They were the masses. There was a handful of, I got my ticket, and I'm headed to heaven. That's that group. And so they looked at them. I read a commentary, and it used this word. They saw them as rustic. You know what they were saying? They're a bunch of hillbillies. A bunch of rednecks. They're country. That's what they were saying. That's what rustic means. But they were the majority of the people. And they were the ones who paid the taxes and supported everything else. They were the lower class, the middle class working folks. We want to put it in our culture today, these were the deplorables. Okay? These are the deplorables. I'm serious. I mean that. That's exactly who this group was. Yet these are the very people that Jesus spent most of his time with. In fact, one of the uh, reasons the religious elite would not accept Jesus is they viewed him as Am Haretz. A common person. He couldn't be the Messiah. He just couldn't be. He doesn't act like us. Yet scripture tells us this about those people. In Mark chapter 12 verse 37 in in the King James Version it says, The common people heard Jesus gladly. Gladly. They heard Jesus gladly because Jesus was real. He was real. He said what he meant. He meant what he said. He treated every person that he came to with love and dignity and respect. And he reached down to lift up. He he reached out to embrace. He was willing to touch them. 
He was willing to minister to them. He was willing to heal them. He was willing to release them from bondage. And in return, you know what? He didn't ask for anything. He didn't pass a plate. He didn't, he didn't take an offering at the end of the service. He just served them and moved on. He turned their lives upside down and changed them and moved to the next one. He was not taking, he was giving. He simply came them came to show them what God's heart looked like. And guess what? They flocked to him by the thousands. They, they, they followed him all over the place. The common people liked Jesus. It was religious people they did not like. And nothing has changed 20 centuries later. Nothing. The common people still like and they respect Jesus and his message. They just don't have anything for those who call themselves Christians and talk about Jesus but don't act like Jesus. Christian means little Christ. So if I don't act like a little Christ, I need to use that term very sparingly. These same people saw something and they experienced something from, from these members of this early church that reminded them of Jesus. They saw the same thing in them that they saw in Him. They saw men and women struggling to feed their families but willing to share whatever they had with anybody else. It wasn't this. Get all I can, can't all I get, sit on the lid and shoot anybody that gets close to my can. It wasn't that kind of stuff. It was whatever I have, you, you, you take. They, 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 they saw men and women that were living out what they believed. Not just talking about it. They saw people who they knew in their communities. They saw prost, former prostitutes and they saw former abusers. They saw liars and they saw thieves and they saw adulterers and you name it, they saw it. And, and these people were totally transformed. They were, they were changed completely. They weren't even the same people. And they were worshiping Jesus here at Solomon's portico. They were, they were in the temple. I mean, they were having a party for Jesus. These common people experienced miraculous encounters as God rubbed shoulders every day with them through these church members. Why? Because they carried their faith to the workplace. They didn't wear it as a badge of, of honor, demanding respect, or, or like a sledgehammer looking for somebody to bludgeon because they've made a mistake. This book is not a hammer or a club to use on somebody. Okay? This book is a love letter that people need to hear about. Now listen, it works like a hammer, but I don't use it as a hammer. That's God's responsibility. Okay, my job is to say, this is what Jesus did for me. Let me show you. Let me, let me tell you how much he loves you. Let me tell you this. Let me show this. You know what? That kind of behavior is going to get you here. Let me show you what God can do when he changes that kind of behavior. See, we, we've taken the word of God and, and we've usurped God's position instead of the position he gave us. Our job is to use it as a tool, as water, as bread, as food, as life. No, they took their faith into the workplace and, like a medic on a battlefield. Medics look for the wounded. 
When they find a wounded man or a woman, they drag the wounded person off and they meet their needs. That's what God has called us to do in the culture that we live in. They took their faith to the workplace to edify and to encourage and to exhort those who were ready to give up or give in. Listen, there's all kind of people that live in your your neighborhood that are on the verge of quitting, giving up. Heck, some of you are at the verge of quitting and giving up. So there's some in this community as well. They went where the hurting were instead of expecting the hurting to come to them. To put it very simply, they looked and they acted like Jesus. You know what? The the common people watched how the church treated its own members. Because if you're going to treat your brother this way, if you don't treat your brother the way you talk about then you're not going to treat me that way. And so they watched them, and what they saw is they saw love that they exhibited. They, they, they saw the, their daily lifestyles. Regardless of what kind of situation they found themselves in, they saw their humility, they, they saw their devotion, they saw that servant heart that would come out. They heard the message they were preaching. They heard the message that they were, they were testifying and, 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 and teaching. And then they witnessed that message firsthand acted out. The most powerful message of the gospel is not just the one that's proclaimed, but when proclamation and demonstration join together, nothing can withstand that message. All right? We've proclaimed too long. We need to demonstrate as well. We need to demonstrate. They declared what they believed and they lived it out in living color. And what the common people saw was real. It was genuine. Those early believers were sincere. They weren't hypocrites. They were Now listen, they weren't sinless. Don't get me wrong. They weren't perfect. They didn't float above the ground. They didn't have it all together. They were just forgiven. And they lived their lives out of that moment with the testimony of Jesus. They resembled Jesus. They looked like Jesus. And, 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 and if, you, if you read some of Paul's letters, he talks about the aroma of Christ. They smelled like Jesus. You can smell Jesus. Say, how do you know? Because I've smelled him before. I've smelled him in the lives of people. And it attracts. It draws you uh, to Jesus. Their behavior and their demeanor demanded respect and their kindness and their sympathy secured the affection of the common people. And the common people responded with favor. Listen, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. Not everybody liked them. Okay? The religious folks hated them, all right? But they feared the common people more than they hated them at that moment. Over time, guess what? Their hate would outgrow their fear, and they would begin to persecute them. But the lifestyle of the church won the favor of the masses of people, and so it, it held them in bay, at, at bay. And ultimately, what would happen is, is because of their popularity and, their, and, and uh, this early church and the fear that the religious leaders in Judaism were going to lose their positions, they were going to lose their temple, they begin to persecute them. And yet they wouldn't do anything for the common people. It was all about me, my and I. If you read just a little farther, you'll see that persecution begin. 
in Acts chapter 4, there's an indisputable miracle that Peter and John perform with a, with a uh, crippled man who's been at, at a certain gate, the beautiful gate. He's been there for all his life. Couldn't walk, he's gnarled up, he's bent and twisted. All of a sudden, he's dancing the holy dance in the temple. <laughs> Not much you can say when you walked by the dude every day for 25 years on your way to work. But that was the end. Uh, that was, that was, they couldn't handle it. And so they begin to persecute. Listen, religion loves power and control. But true relationship loves service and humility. We live in communities filled with common people just like us. Their needs, their wants, their desires, their dreams are the same as the people in the first century. They're looking for genuine love. They're looking for acceptance. They're looking for peace and mercy and humility and healing and understanding and empathy and compassion and deliverance and freedom. Maybe, maybe I could sum it up in just one word. They're looking for salvation. Someone to set them free. They need their bodies healed. They need their, their soul healed. They need their spirit healed. They're looking for the way back to the garden. All of us are. There, there's a part of us that, that is drawn back to that garden. Back to God who created us in His image and His likeness. Back to that genuine relationship that fulfills their deepest needs. You know what? Some of them are looking in all the wrong places. Some of them have given up. Some of them have accepted deadly substitutes that promise the world but only deliver death. And some of them have embraced alternate paths. But those pathways have become dead ends. But yet they're still convinced it will lead them home somehow. Yet we're supposed to be there to guide them, to direct them, to be signposts, bridges out. Go this way. Don't, come, don't keep coming. Go this way. Detour. All of them are looking for Jesus, but most of them don't even know it. And here we are. Local body of believers claim to know Jesus and have experienced a life-altering encounter with Jesus, a transformation from one kingdom to another kingdom who claim to be born again, born again, uh, born from above, through the Holy Spirit, and sadly, we've forgotten where we came from. We're a lot more like the religious elite in that first century than we are the common people that we live among. Say, so Nelson, you're supposed to smile when you say that. My jaws are wore out, okay? It's just the way it is. We've forgotten where we came from. And because we've forgotten where we came from, we're often indifferent to our communities that surround us and to the people we rub shoulders with every day. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians that it makes my blood get cold every time I read it. But Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and you know we've talked a lot about the church in Corinth. They, it was a powerful church. All the gifts were present there, but it was also a messed up church because there were schisms and there were little factions of people and it was this side against that side and all kind of stuff was going on. They'd forgotten who they were. Paul reminds them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the latter part of verse 9 and 11, he says, Don't be deceived. 
neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate by perversion, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, not drunkards, not revelers, revilers, not swindlers, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And we, a lot of Christians now go, yay God! But they forget what comes next. And such were some of you. Hmm. I think Paul was being really nice there. And such were some of you. The reality of it is, and such were all of us. You say, well, you may, you say, well I, I'm not a fornicator. No, but you probably were an idolater or a liar. You say, well, I've never stolen anything. That's okay. You probably swindled somebody along the way. We're all sinners. The Scripture says we're all sinners. For none of us have ever reached the glory of God. We've all fallen short. But such were some of you. But you were washed. And you were sanctified. You were set apart. But you were justified. You were declared not guilty. Your sins were declared uh, forgiven. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the spirit of our God. He reminds them who they were. And you know what? Sometimes we just need to be reminded who we are. Who we were. You know, all of us have a past. None of us wants to stand on the stage while our life is played on a camera on the screen. Okay? Nobody. Because none of us can defend some of the things we've done. All of us have done bad things. And yet, too often we forget about that. We forget about that. You know what? I may have a neighbor that's a drunk. And he may yell at his wife and treat his kids terribly. But you know what? I was no better than him. He needs Jesus. Jesus could change all of that. Our problem is we've forgotten who we were. Where we come from. Out of the pit out of whatever pit it was or gutter that we crawled out of. We have become religious instead of real, and we find too much joy in in an... Let me say this correctly. We we get our joy from an eternal fire insurance policy rather than experiencing the true joy of Jesus Christ by returning to the battlefield and dragging out the wounded. See, God saved us to go back to the gutters. To go back to the pits. Covered in the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And take hold of somebody. And drag them to safety. And when we get them to safety, we go back. We grab another one. We go back. We grab another one. The problem is we congregate in little buildings we call churches. And we have worship parties. And then we don't do anything. We don't do nothing. We sing hallelujah, praise the Lord, lift our hands, clap. I might even get a little happy and dance. But we don't ever go back to the battlefield. And listen. The reality of that battlefield is people are dying. They're dying. So folks, until we become real, rather than religious... Until we grasp with our hearts rather than with our heads that Jesus died for the communities of this world and not just me. The reality is we're just dadgum selfish. 
I got Jesus, I'm okay, everything's going to be good, he's coming back to rescue me, and everything's going to be fine. (sighs) That's another sermon in and of itself. He did rescue you once. He expects you to enter heaven victorious now. He's not returning to pluck us away because it's gotten so bad that we can't deal with it. He's coming back to get a victorious bride who has done everything she was supposed to. That's what he's coming back for. You want to know why he lingers? Because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Listen, until they smell Jesus on us and they see the person of Jesus in us, until we become real and we become sincere and we jettison our desire to condemn and control it and to control everything, the world's communities won't embrace our weak interpretation of Jesus. They just won't do it. And nothing will change. Listen, folks, the early church changed their community. It changed in their home, changed in their family, it changed in the little area they lived in. All of a sudden, the town or their city was turned upside down. The nation they were in was changed. And before 300 years were over, they had changed the world as they knew it. Their lifestyle and their, their, their message were indistinguishable from one another. The message was the lifestyle of Jesus. And their lifestyle was the message of Jesus. It was good news. That's what the gospel is. And the result was they enjoyed the people's favor. They enjoyed their admiration and their respect. Listen, if people admire you and they respect you, they will listen to you. They will come to you and ask you questions. But you don't get their respect and their admiration just because you're somebody. You get it because you earn it. You serve them. You love them. You develop a relationship with them. You show them day in and day out. You are what you say you are, and you live what you preach. That kind of favor can't be bought. It can't be forced. It can't be coerced. It has to be earned moment by moment with genuine love through relationship. Now, if you're taking this down, this is principle number 11. I've given you 10 before. i got one more next week. But the, the 11th principle, a radical church is made up of real people reaching out to real people in their community through actions that imitate the redemptive love and the heartfelt concern of Jesus. These radically real people look and smell a lot like Jesus. Okay? We're, we're worried more about what our deodorant smells like and our cologne smells like than if we smell like Jesus or not. The aroma of Christ attracts lost people. Death is attracted to life. I'm just telling you. And in that attraction, it's transformed. It's changed. When death gets too close to life, guess what? There's no death. Just look at Jesus. Every funeral he went to, Became a resurrection. Even his own. The grave couldn't hold him. The tomb couldn't contain him. Listen, if we will just be the, 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 the aroma of the resurrection, if we'll be the aroma of Jesus, Jesus will do the rest. Let's pray. 
For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.